You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Welcome to this episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. This business talk show airs live on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at 4 p.m. and Thursdays at our very special time of 3 p.m. All of our shows can be heard live exclusively here on Orange County's only community radio station, octalkradio.net. If you're listening to this show as a podcast, we encourage you to consider listening live during our broadcast times. This show is brought to you by our commercial sponsors, Brandman University, Commercial Bank of California, Decision Toolbox, Smart Business Magazine, Succession Strategies, and Center Club. The goal for this show is to help you, our listening audience of CEOs of middle market firms, make better more informed business decisions. It gives me great pleasure to welcome our first guest, Dr. Chip Espinoza. He is author and director of the Organizational Psychology Program at Concordia University in Irvine, as well as a senior consultant with Red Tree Leadership. Dr. Espinoza, welcome to the program. Thanks. It's great to be on your program, Rick. Let's start very simply. Can you talk to us a little bit about your professional background? Yeah. We, I was teaching, obviously, uh, management theory and practice in I had a bunch of students in the 90s who they'd come in, you'd give a syllabus to, and they'd just take it and never look at it, put it in their backpack. In about the 2000s when I was teaching, I noticed a subtle difference in the students. Is I'd hand out like a syllabus, and they'd take it and go through it line by line with a red pen. And they'd say, hey, 10 to 12-page paper for a midterm. Is it 10 pages C and 12 pages in A? And one thing I noticed, and it, it was really neat, everything's negotiable. To this generation, right? And so I got into it with an interest, really, from teaching and seeing them, because they were bright, had a lot to offer. Uh But on the same respect, I was working with clients on change initiatives, those kinds of things. And and organizations were having a hard time, really, tension between generations as they were bringing in this new generation. So that's kind of the background to why I wrote Managing the Millennials and ultimately Millennials at Work. So those CEOs who have millennials in your workforce and you've been wanting to learn how to better optimize that resource, you're in luck today because Dr. Espinosa is going to share some of what's in his book, Managing the Millennials, here in a little bit. Uh, Before we get to that, I wonder if you might talk to us about Red Tree Leadership, if you could explain what it is the business does and maybe highlight why clients choose Red Tree Leadership over other competitors, I'd appreciate that. Well, Red Tree's in, incredible. They're great in training and development, and they make programs come alive. That's one of the reasons that I went and partnered with them. As you can imagine, the book came out, and the first client to call me was Microsoft. So here I have the book. I only have me, and I'm flying up to Redmond, and they're saying, how scalable are you? And I said, oh, really scalable? I can do anything. How, do you, how much do you need? And yeah. so I had to make a business decision with my co-authors to say, do we want to spend the next six years building a training company and miss the window of opportunity? Or do we want to go out and find a great training uh, company and partner with them? And so okay. Red Tree, we looked. They did the Who Moved My Cheese work, uh, which was just really famous, obviously, in right. organizations. But they were great in the, in the sense what differentiated them to us was that they just made training come alive. So you're a senior consultant with Red Tree because you brought the intellectual property, it sounds like, and they have the workforce and the talent to deliver it in scale? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, this is an international organization? Yeah, we're looking that we deliver, you know, to some of the largest companies in the world as far as training from change initiatives. But mostly now, the two major projects are managing the millennials and then onboarding millennials which okay. is the subject of my second book excellency where he's already getting a plug-in for the second book and <laughs> it'll be released shortly you know 
entrepreneurs are probably listening to this show and going, wow, Dr. Espinoza, your first call is from Microsoft. How golden are you? <laughs> I mean, what was that like? It was awesome. I fly in and I'm sitting in there and I'm, you know, it's just surreal and I'm pitching myself. And, and really, I don't know how this works, Rick, but they said they had an advanced copy of my book. So really, it had only been out like a month, but they had uh-huh. already read it. So, it, you know, it's one of those situations that you sit there and you're kind of humbled by. Sure. And maybe it was your, did you? Was it the publisher that got him the copy, Wiley? I'm sure. Okay. I'm sure. That's a great publisher to be a yeah, partner absolutely. with, right? So you you have a lot of good partners in this. <laughs> it takes a team, doesn't it? And some great co-authors as well. All right. Yeah, we can't forget the co-authors <laughs> as well, but your your name's first on the title. <laughs> That's right. And you're here in the studio today, Dr. Okay. Espinoza. So um, let's talk a little bit about the book. So Managing the Millennials, tell us a little bit more about it. You, you kind of you began to... Give us a sense of what's different with the millennials versus the previous generation. But uh, let, let's spend a few minutes, and I have about five minutes until our commercial break. So let's spend that time just kind of thinking through and helping our audience understand what they'll learn from reading your book. Okay. Well, one of the things, and I want you to think about this statement. This is the first generation that has not needed an authority figure to access information. You and I, in order to move up in an organization or get information, we had to suck up to somebody. We had to go and just listen. We had to find them. This generation, the last place they're going to look for information is from an authority figure because they can access it through the Internet. And it doesn't make them bad, but what happens, it, it appears to managers, the way they perceive that behavior, is that they must not think I know anything or that I'm outdated, or I have nothing to offer them. And that's not really the deal, because they've been trained to go look for it elsewhere before they go to an authority figure. So if you look at that, it changes the dynamics of relationship between subordinates and authority. And power. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, that's a, that's a place to start. But that sort of runs counter to what I think I heard you say earlier about the syllabus, where they're going through it line by line, wanting direction on what the content is. Uh, I love that you said that. See, and here's what the issue is, and and this is what confuses a lot of managers, is that millennials don't want to be micromanaged or treated like they don't know anything, right? But they want clear direction and details about what's expected of them. And so you can imagine how somebody say, well, that's, you know, that just seems to me like, you want clear direction, but you don't want me to micromanage. There is a difference in the mind of a millennial, just so you know. Okay. Yeah. And what is that difference? Then? Well, the difference is that you trust me with a job, and you tell me exactly what you expect, and I'm going to bring it back to you. Okay. But if you're not clear, and here's the problem. Our generation, a lot of times, because we've done something so long, we know in our mind clearly what we're asking for. And we make assumptions about what they know about what we're asking for. And when you walk away with those assumptions, it usually is going to end up in conflict with a younger worker because they're going to come back and say, well, I didn't know that. You didn't tell me that. And we just assume that they knew it. So from your perspective, because you've seen several, at least two generations in your teaching practice and profession, when we were younger and in the workforce for our first time, did we not want that level of direction and specificity from our managers? Weren't we eager to do it? It sounds like the millennials just want to do it right. Exactly. And they need to be explained at a level, what is the right thing you want, and then I'll perform to that. Yeah. There's high expectations of this generation. There really is. One of the things that's frustrating for them, and we'll get into this later, when they go to work, it's culture shock. 
It may be the first environment where they meet an authority figure who's not for them, who's not right. excited about them, who's not there to totally help them be a success. Okay. Can you imagine walking that manager that learned when they came up, it's sink or swim. Nobody gave me clear direction. Nobody told me what to do. I just had to make it on the job. And so right. they come into this position with, well, this is the way you train people. You throw them in the water and see if they swim. It's not working. So the, the parents, the coaches in the Little League and team sports, the professors at the university. Yeah. So what you're saying is everybody up to a certain point right. were in the same boat with these millennials, and then their supervisor comes and goes, I don't have time for this. Yeah, not so much. Not so much. <laughs> All right, Dr. Chip Espinoza, who is author and director of Organizational Psychology Program at Concordia University in Irvine, is our guest today on the first segment. We're going to take our first commercial break, and when I come back, I'm going to ask you, uh, a little bit more about the book, and then we're going to talk about some other challenges in the workforce with millennials. So for those of you out there who have millennials in your workforce, and many of you, if not most, do now, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. Can we talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well... What happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children? At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation, safely and securely, ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's Succession-Strategies.com. It takes 12 years to create a graduate. It takes about the same time to create a dropout. And at the end of the day, the difference between a child becoming one or the other could be you. So United Way is asking you to make a pledge. Tutor a child who needs help. Mentor a kid who needs someone on their side. Volunteer to read to children. Because when a child advances, we all advance. Be a reader. Tutor or mentor. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Take the pledge now at liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Richard Franzi is the author of two popular business books for CEOs. His first book, Critical Mass, The Ten Explosive Powers of CEO Peer Groups, was the first book ever written on the secret value of CEO peer groups. His second book, now with newly updated information, is Critical Mass, The Power of CEO Guiding Principles. Richard's books contain powerful information to help CEOs running middle market companies gain valuable insight to improve their decision-making skills. Richard's books are available as paperbacks or Kindle versions from Amazon.com. To find them, type Richard Franzi in the search box. 
It takes 12 years to create a graduate. It takes about the same time to create a dropout. And at the end of the day, the difference between a child becoming one or the other could be you. So United Way is asking you to make a pledge. Tutor a child who needs help. Mentor a kid who needs someone on their side. Volunteer to read to children. Because when a child advances, we all advance. Be a reader, tutor, or mentor. Give, advocate, volunteer. Live United. Take the pledge now at liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. And welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. I'd like to thank and acknowledge our listeners who download our show as a podcast. You've downloaded over 11,000 shows during the last 30 days. We here at the program appreciate your continued and growing support. All of our shows can be heard live here on Internet Radio Station OCTalkRadio.net or rebroadcast anytime from Apple iTunes, Stitcher.com, and other business-oriented podcasting services. I'd like to return to our interview with Dr. Chip Espinoza. Before the break, I said we're going to talk a little bit more about managing the millennials. And I wonder if you could share from your research and experience, what do you feel is the biggest issue facing these millennials in today's workforce? I'll give you an example. I did research for the second book with working professional millennials. So every one of them are what I call first wave millennials. They're people that went to work before 2009. Okay. Second wave I call coming to work after 2009. But here's their list. Number one, a lack of experience is their greatest challenge. It's their greatest frustration because it's the reason they don't get the opportunities they want. And it's just obvious that they don't have the experience. Right. How could they? The the, the number two thing, and you're going to get this, it's not being taken seriously in the workforce. Mm. And, and that's off-putting to them because they feel like they've worked hard, they've got their education, they want to make a contribution. And when nobody takes them seriously, um, it's very off-putting. I could see that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So help me to understand. You're, I'm so glad you're here because <laughs> a lot of what I sometimes hear from people about managing millennials, I think, one... We're making too much of a difference. I, I think some things will change over time just with experience, time in the job, uh, kind of responsibilities of the position. It's sort of easier to be different when you're first new into a job as you get responsibility and a track record. Not that I'm saying they conform, but I am saying that maybe we in the older generations are saying things about them that previous generations might have said, about us when we joined the workforce, too. Right. I'm not so sure that they're the same things, Okay, but it is a phenomenon. It's called demographic metabolism. Every time one dem- demography leaves, one, one generation leaves the workforce, another one comes in, there's potential for tension. And that tension can create kind of what we're seeing in the media, the news, a lot of negative stuff, uh, which is anecdotal. It's a phenomenon that people observe. But what I like to do is peel that back and say, well, why are you experiencing this? Right. Let's look at this. It's, it's not that these I've seen books like The Me Generation and Narcissist. and They're not that way at all. They want to make a contribution. They want to, sure. to, to have meaningful careers. They look at life a little different. And, and by the way, if you look at a builder, you know, a, a depression generation, and you look at baby boomers, they have two different views of how to handle money. Exactly. One put it in the mattress, let's save it, let's not build till we and the next one generation later, hey, let's borrow it. Right. Let's do it, let's build it today, let's not miss the opportunity. Right. And so you can see just between those two generations, there were real differences about attitudes and values. I lived them with my parents yeah, who were absolutely. depression era kids and you know, I was a I'm a baby boomer. The other side of it is I see tremendous 
positive qualities to the millennial generation that, in my mind, I can't wait for them to get more successful in the workforce. I think it's right for them to have a high expectation that their employers communicate with them, that they treat them as a valuable asset, that they're socially responsible, that they understand the bigger picture. I mean, I think in some ways, the baby boom generation, we allowed ourselves to be sort of taken advantage of many times by corporate America. We live, we're that generation that realized you're not going to be here for 30 years and get the gold watch. You better manage your own career. The millennials, they take that attitude from day one. How much better off would we have been in our generation if we'd learned that lesson since we had to experience it firsthand? And I think we were ill-equipped for it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, you look at, we haven't talked about Gen X, right? The one in between the boomers. Yeah, well, you know, they're the sandwich group, it, right? Exactly. They're, <laughs> they're, they're the tweeners. You know, they're relationship brokers at work. But this is a hardworking generation that didn't have enough people to really push the agenda with what they wanted. At okay. Work. And they've turned out to be, you know, incredible workers, but they're very individualistic in the way they approach things. And so even some of the tensions that they would have, even though they're closer to age to the millennials, right. is the expectations that millennials have at work when Gen X said, hey, look, we had to do this, and you don't expect to have to do any of that and be at my equal level. So I almost see, too, that some Gen X, some of the sandwich Gen Xers are going to get, overtaken by millennials right and the millennials may be their boss because of what dynamics talent or whatever well rick the way that i look at things you know what i'm writing on right now i'm putting together a book proposal on on the next book that i want to do it really is that this first wave of millennials are hitting management many of them have responsibility of managing baby boomers and (laughs) jets Yeah, and they're going. How do we do this? This generation's impossible. (laughs) I've had a lot of entrepreneurial uh, millennials here on the show that have started really creative, successful, out of the box companies that are doing things differently, unique cultures, and I think they're exciting places to work. And I'm a baby boomer. I wouldn't have a problem in some of those environments. I I think it's exciting to see what they're creating with the skills and talents that they're bringing to the workforce. So your your second book is about to come out, right? Exactly. And, and you're now researching your third book? Right. So you're just on a wave now here. Huh? You're, yeah. you're... You know, I love the topic. It's fun to talk about. I mean, it's just energizing. You go to any cocktail party, and I mean, you're buzzing all night in conversation. <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll tell you what, this next book, Millennials at Work, it, it's I, I, I'm so happy about it. I'm so proud of it. Because anybody, it, not, only, not only millennials who are at work and getting out of college, if you're a parent of a millennial and you're saying, I've invested this much money in education, it's a must-buy. It'll help okay. them to recognize what are the barriers out there. Not necessarily because I'm this way, but I'm perceived this way, and I'm going to be treated a certain way. What do I do about that? How do I overcome that? Like one piece of advice. This may seem like the simplest thing in the world to you. Let's face it. They're perceived as entitled, that they have high expectation of getting the corner office in two years, promoted, higher salary. One of the things to circumvent being considered entitled is to show appreciation. How do right. I show appreciation? Look for the nice things that people do for you. If your manager invites you to a meeting with her to give a presentation, say, thanks for bringing me along. Just simple little things like that and tips that make all the difference in the world. And by the way, I learned them from these millennials that I studied that overcome these challenges. Right. And, and you know, as you're talking, I'm wondering, too, I think we're going to see another rev of productivity improvement in corporate America because the millennials generally speaking, appear to be very comfortable with technology and very able to use it in a broad and interesting way. And uh, and I think, um, while we've adapted as uh, baby boomers, um, that I think companies are going to benefit from the fact that the training and the 
adoption of new products and technology is going to be much easier when you have millennials in your workforce. Is that a that's just an opinion of what well, I'm no, saying, but no, it seems to me to make sense. I totally agree with that. And here's here's where the rub is. They're obviously they have technological savvy that's awesome. The rub is that they're impatient. And what I tell millennials to to face this roadblock is master the way your boss asks you to do it before you present another way to oh, do it. Oh, okay. Right? So you don't look like you're... Yeah, absolutely. Right. And, and so Threatening. Th- there are little things like that, but you're, you're absolutely right. And one thing that I'll say, we're talking about, and to some degree, I think we're moving more towards a technographic and not necessarily a demographic. I mean, if I were really to go back and do research and do another PhD, I think I'd look mm. at it, what's the difference in the sociology between generations and how technology shapes generations? Even uh, 70-year-olds who adopted early right. do these incredible things in 12-year-olds. How are they alike? Oh, so there, there's the fountain of youth, maybe, huh? <laughs> exactly. Embrace technology. Keep an good. open mind. <laughs> I like it. I like you're a, th- you're a thinker. Yeah. I like that. Um, let's talk a little bit. Can I, can I just spend a minute... Uh, talking about Concordia University. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, could you share with our audience of CEOs and business executives from your perspective just an overview of Concordia here in Irvine okay. and in Southern California? Well, first of all, it's a great school, great reputation. I, I mean, I'm just delighted to be there. One thing about my program, Organizational Psychology, it's really for adult learners that are coming back to finish their education, okay. get their bachelor's degree. And my program's designed for that person out there in the workforce who says, you know what, I, I want to make a difference here. I see problems. I don't know what to do about them. I want to create solutions. I want to move from being just maybe somebody who's a manager to being somebody who's strategic. I want to move up in my career. I want to get to the next level. And so what we do basically is teach people, how do you identify problems? How do you find out what people are saying about those problems? And then how do you create an intervention that can really address those problems? And how do you measure your success? And, I mean, I'm telling you, it is so fun. I mean, in my program, I have some incredible teachers, right, that are adjuncts. They're not full-time. I've got the lead global trainer for Oakley that teaches my students. I mean, can you imagine that? The person that's designing everything for it's going to come in and give the – so, yeah, I mean, it's a cool program. I love it. Okay. Okay. Tell me how people could find out about Concordia online. Yeah, you can basically just go to www.cui.edu. Okay. Or just type in Concordia University Irvine in your search. And if someone would like to find Managing the Millennials, how do they do that? Uh, Amazon.com. Of course. Or Barnes & Noble. Okay. You know, most outlets. You mean there's other bookstores online at Amazon? Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll have it. <laughs> Same thing with Millennials at Work. You can go on Amazon and find that. Oh, by the way, let me tell you this real quick, okay? Yes. You can go to redtreeleadership.com, and if you want to take a free assessment as a manager to say, how do I stack up oh, wow. in my skills, Right. you could take a free assessment. Or if you're a millennial, we have a, an assessment for them to say, how do I stack up against all the other millennials on these skills that we teach. Okay, so the, I, I'm a novice at this, but that seems to me to be something that millennials would be interested in. They oh, yeah. like those self love that comparative. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Comparative, yeah. And when they score not too, you know, against each other, I, <laughs> I have to do a lot of explaining. <laughs> it's valid, trust me. Yeah, exactly. You can work on it. Yeah. No, I think, I think the work you're doing is really important because it's such a large part of our workforce. Our future is so dependent on the millennials doing things better than the baby boomers did it. And I really think they have so much potential to, to really take our economy and our country to another level. Final thought. Are the tr- trends you see in s- 
in millennials in the U.S., do they translate outside? Of oh, my goodness. Great question. My first invites were to China and India. Really? It was more pronounced there than what was felt here. I've oh. been in Monterey, Mexico. I, I mean, the international interest is, un- I, I can't. So this isn't a U.S. phenomenon where we raised our kids this way. And and you know what? That's why I think the technographic thing, because now that we have technology, this generation, their bandwidth of experience is way smaller, I mean, as far as their common experience, than that of the baby boomer or anybody else. So all around the world, they're seeing the same things, have the access education. So, yeah, I mean, it's applicable everywhere. Matter of fact, I'll give you this example. One of my uh, clients is Johnson Controls International. They see it as a bigger problem in their plants in Mexico than they do in their plants in the U.S. Uh, well, you're onto a you're into a good area. Keep up the great work. Thank you for sharing a little bit about what's in your book. And I do recommend that our CEOs and business owners listening today and in the future on a podcast find managing the millennials. And I thank you for giving me a copy of the book and take some time to understand how to get better. Out of better performance out of that very valuable asset. Dr. Chip Espinoza, thanks for being a friend of the program, and welcome to the Critical Mass Business Community. Thanks, Rick. It was great. Thank you. All right, we'll be right back with our second guest after these commercial words from our sponsors. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. If you are an Orange County CEO or a business owner, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have had these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions through the power of peer learning. These are groups of peers who are running businesses just like you. CEO Peer Groups provides a great sounding board to test fresh ideas and new concepts, review your strategic plans and tactical goals, and present issues and opportunities for a critical discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, and improved business results. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn about our CEO peer groups. CEO peer groups is a registered trademark of Critical Mass for Business.
Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. And welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. Our audience demographic is 98% business owners and executives who listen to our program to learn from the experiences of our guests. If your firm is interested in reaching these top decision makers, then advertising on the radio show may be the answer. Each month, our sponsors gain valuable exposure through their support of our show. We delivered over 20,000 highly targeted sponsor impressions last month. To learn more, contact our advertising department at 949-887-4104. All of our shows can be found on our website, criticalmass4forbusiness.com. All right, it gives me great pleasure to welcome our second guest, Lynn Langett, who is Big Data Cloud Technical Architecture Architect Consultant. Excuse me. Lynn, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. A little bit of a mouthful there for me, but (laughs) let's start by sharing your background a little bit. Tell us about your path kind of to your current role. Well, it wasn't a straight line, let me tell you that. They rarely so, are. No, no, I had really sort of three different uh, professional things that I did. First, I was a student. I have a degree in linguistics, so I speak uh, several foreign languages, which you might, yeah, you might not think it has anything to do with big data, but it kind of helps out because you can understand the different languages of technology. Then I had a business career which is directly relevant to my effectiveness as a big data consultant because very few technical consultants actually have had full P&L responsibility. Right. What languages do you speak? Uh, German, Norwegian, Tagalog, um, Bemba, which is a language from Zambia, um, and some Japanese. Wow. Those are not even similar, are they? Did you try to find ones that are really not... I mean. Just different life experiences. I grew up in North Dakota, and so you could actually take German and Norwegian um, in you know in school there, because oh, okay. there's so many Norwegians. Um, my, uh, my ex-husband was Philippine-American, so I learned from a family there, Tagalog, and I spent quite a lot of time volunteering in Africa in Zambia, so I picked up some of the wow. local language. Okay. Well, that was great. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, sure. What an interesting background. <laughs> it's always nice to know who I'm talking to. So um, can you tell me about your consulting firm? Uh, you know, w- w- our earlier guest was talking about managing millennials. Now we're talking about big data and, and cloud computing. <clears throat> These are very important trends that are happening in the workforce and in, in technology. But help me to understand, what is it about your firm that causes clients to want to do business with you? Well, there's so much change going on around data. I come out of the sort of traditional world of relational databases, which is like SQL Server, you know, search SQL, Oracle, the big guys. And I spent over 10 years doing that. And I even worked for Microsoft for a while. I worked four years for Microsoft. And at the end of my time there, I was a technical evangelist or technical presenter. I was going around the world talking about databases and big data was coming in, creeping in, you know, new types of databases. And I got so intrigued. I said, you know, I don't want to just work for one vendor. I'm going to just take the leap. Wow. And I did. The entrepreneurial bug bit you. So Mm -hmm. when you're hired, what are you hired to do? It's a variety of things. Everything from the hands-on and 
kind of mundane, like, I just want to upgrade my database to the new version of SQL Server. I mean, there's still that basic stuff out there. Well, yeah. But there's a lot of opportunity around now what I call a behavioral data, which is additional data. You'll see, like, I'm wearing one of those Fitbits. This is just an example. Sure. You know, the quantified self. I'm sure you've probably had people on that talk about that. From a personal and a health standpoint, just for one vertical, there is a plethora now of this behavioral data that people can now collect. So companies hire me to figure out what should they collect, how should they store it, and what should they do with it. Is that a simplified explanation for what big data is? Or what is, for those CEOs mm-hmm. of middle market companies yep. who go, okay, I've heard big data, yep. explain it to them in language they can understand, Lynn. Yeah, and I usually will take the approach of behavioral data as opposed to what? As opposed to the data that you've already had and stored for years, your transactional data. So let me make an example that I think really applies. Everybody can understand a retail store. Let's say you're shopping in a retail store. Everybody sort of has like what they've sold. That's their transactional data. I sold 15 red shirts on this day, so on and so forth. That's what everybody's had. That's sort of the, the world we're in. The world we're going towards is now when you come to store with a smartphone, you can buy from the the different phone companies, the path that your customer takes through your store. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. This is not like uh, forward-looking stuff. This is actually going on if you're shopping at Irvine Spectrum and you have a certain phone provider. It's already, your stuff's already being sold. When you opt in to the um, geospatial location, we can have a little map. Right. It's going. So it's a two-way, huh? I get a benefit, get the map, but I'm giving up my... Yep. information. Yeah. So it's that's what I call behavioral. It's stuff you used to either not get or throw away. So how do you not middle market CEOs mm-hmm. listen to this radio show, 100 million dollar companies yep. and smaller yep. across the country. Yep. How do they first of all determine what they should collect and secondly, how do you not get overwhelmed mm-hmm. by what you've now collected and turning that data into information that you can make decisions against? Well, this is very spe- specific to my consultancy because there's a lot of hype around big data because it's, you know, the new shiny thing and right. let's just go and buy the new database or whatever. But I, you know, sort of one of my guiding principles is every implementation of technology has to provide business value. And I know that might almost sound cliche, but how many people have you talked to that are very steeped in the technology that have their hand on the business side? Do you know, Mm -hmm. because usually these things are kind of separate, right? Right. So when I go in and talk to the business people, I say, all right, what are your business goals? Who's your competition? Now let's look at what data can do for you in terms of differentiating yourself from your competition. Data as a strategic asset. So are the traditional database software companies forces in big data as well or are upstart entrepreneurial firms i mean who who's the backbone for the collection and dissemination and anal- analyzing of big data you know it's so exciting that's why i had to leave microsoft i've written three books on sql server their core product you know i'm like very known for understanding their corporate and still got a great relevancy it's not going away it's not being replaced it's being added to right so what's happening is there's all these new products so microsoft's putting new capabilities in sql server to allow for uh, working with the larger amounts of data and that's going to be right for some companies because they only have maybe one guy or one gal who to manage their database but in other situations where you're getting more data maybe you're going to go to a different database vendor so that's why you need a consultant to figure right. it out right because these are expensive decisions right I can't get too much more technical than we just got, and I'm not sure my audience wants me to, so we're all on the same page there. I get it. You could go a lot deeper on this subject, but we're going to try to keep it up a level. So thank you, though, for helping to explain it. Uh, Lynn Langett is our guest, and she's a big data and cloud technical architect.
consultant with a consulting firm with deep background in big data and databases. We're going to take our commercial break here on Critical Mass Radio Show. You kind of touched on guiding principle, but I want to come back, Lynn, and I, I'm going to ask you to share with us kind of all the things you've learned. You know, what is your current guiding principle that you're using to grow your firm? So, ladies and gentlemen, go nowhere. We'll be back in about two minutes to three minutes on Critical Mass Radio Show after these words from our commercial sponsor. There's something uniquely positive about the word up. When things are good, things are looking up. When you want to go fast, you speed up. And when you're really cheering, you stand up. So when you want to move up, what do you do? Well, when it comes to getting your bachelor's degree or master's degree, there's one university that stacks up better than virtually everyone else. And that university is Brandman. Brandman University is ranked by U.S. News and World Report as one of the nation's top ten universities for online bachelor's programs. And it ranked best in the state of California. Brandman also received top honors from U.S. News and World Report for our online graduate programs in business and education. Plus, our programs are available on ground at more than 25 convenient campuses. So to wrap things up, we recommend you look us up at brandman.edu. That's brandman.edu. And find out how to move up like never before. Brandman University. Move up. Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, middle market, and large companies. As one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals, under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.sbnonline.com. This is the sound of a flat-screen television hurled off a building. Now the new bike your kid wants. These are the things you could have all cast into oblivion. Because when you throw away money on wasted electricity, you throw away everything you could have bought with it. Use Energy Star light bulbs and appliances, and you could save hundreds of dollars a year. Saving energy saves you money. Learn more at energysavers.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. And welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. I'd like to thank and acknowledge our loyal listeners who've downloaded our show as a podcast. You've downloaded over 12,000 shows during the last 30 days. We here at the program appreciate your continued and growing support. All of our shows can be heard live on Internet radio station octalkradio.net, broadcasting from their state-of-the-art studios here in the Tech Space facility in Costa Mesa, California, or they can be rebroadcast anytime from Apple iTunes, Stitcher.com, and other business-oriented podcasting services. All right, Lynn Langett is our second guest here on the radio program today. She is a big data and cloud technical architect consultant. And before the break, I said I wanted to ask you about your guiding principle, Lynn. Can you share that with our audience, please? Yeah, my guiding principle for my consultancy is I'm going to create or suggest or help to build solutions that add actual business value. I know that might just seem like a no-brainer, but I have come behind technical consultants that have created something, and either it's not being used, it doesn't add value. I mean, unfortunately, it sort of gives my industry a bad name. There's there's so much shelfware out there. Um, And just at a very basic level, I want to make sure I'm understood. When I'm talking to the business decision makers, I ask them, does it make sense what I'm saying? Can can you visualize what I'm talking? And if I if they can't, I'm going to 
keep explaining to them because they're signing my paycheck. And I find very often there's this uh, almost an arrogance among technical consultants that I really dislike. You know, like, I'm the technical person. You listen to me. I tell you what it is, and you just pay for it. And that's just the antithesis of the way that I go. Wow. You know? Yeah, you sound like somebody to be fun to work with, even though you are a technical person. <laughs> hey. <laughs> In a good way, I mean. Right? Um, I'm going to go off script for a second, because as you were answering that, I was wondering if you could think of an example of your working with a middle market company mm-hmm. where they actually could take and improve their decision making because they put it together a data collection, big data program mm-hmm. that delivered them information that they could use to improve their decision making. Can, can you think of a, a time that you did that with a middle market company, not a huge retailer. Yep, yep. I can. Actually, something very local. This was quite a while ago, but it's very local. Orange County Philharmonic. Okay. Um, you know, it's a it's a nonprofit, but it's a middle-sized company. Um, they asked me to look at their subscriber base and to apply what was at that time, this was about 10 years ago, um, advanced techniques, so machine learning, so that they could better analyze who were their subscribers most apt to contribute. And we did that. And guess what? They had their highest contributions um, that next year from the simple analysis of the data that they already had. Okay. And what was what was different about what you did in looking at the data than what would have been done historically or traditionally? Again, I based my uh, technical implementation on their business need. Okay. It might seem just obvious, right? But you would be surprised how many times I go in or I'm called because businesses say, we can't figure out what we should do here. We know we should do something. And we have company or or consultant, A, B, or C, coming in going, buy this, buy that, train your people on this. And we don't see how that results in better business for us. We don't get it, or we tried it and it didn't work. And I say, what are your business goals? They go, wow, it's nice to have a technical person start with business goals. Right. You know? So, so uh, were you able to help them identify the most likely uh, contributors mm-hmm. based on socioeconomic factors based on psychographics what information were you able to bring together that gave them this information that they could then use to pursue at that time um uh, the application of machine learning or using algorithms that the computer uh, uses to analyze the data was relatively new and pretty much not accessible to companies of that size and i happened to in my book look at the capabilities that were in a product they already owned sql server and they just didn't know that even had it okay and so i took val i gave them value out of a product they already owned by helping them to understand how to use a capability in this case to just give a simple example there's a thing called clustering and it just breaks your groups of people into different different uh, groupings like this cluster tends to be high givers this cluster tends to give around christmas time this cluster tends to only give you know every five years so they could then target their marketing based on what the activities were does it okay. make sense yeah no yeah. It's, yes okay so all right it, it is you know this this is exciting to be because before big data and this idea that you could actually turn it into something that could help you make better decisions my focus was always on how much more rapidly we're creating information mm-hmm. that you have to try to keep up. You know, I don't remember the statistics, but it's like daunting in a year. We create more than, you know, mankind did for generations mm-hmm. or centuries or whatever. And you think, how the hell am I ever, how am I ever going to benefit from that? But now there sounds like there's people like you and technologies that underpin the work that you do that allow us in the middle market to use that to make better, more informed decisions. Mm-hmm. Wow. Big at data a, applies to everybody. Point, at yep. a price point we can afford? Yeah. That's the thing. That's the exciting thing right now. It's not just for, you know, Facebook and, 
you know, all those people. It applies to everybody because there are all these products coming and all this competition is really good for the business people because all these vendors, Microsoft doesn't want to lose business. So they're adding stuff onto their core product, which you already own. Right. And then there's startups coming trying to compete with them. It's fun. It's a fun space to work it's in. It's a good place to be a buyer then, as mm-hmm. long as you make an informed, correct that's, decision on what you implement, that's right? That's the... And that's where you come in. That's right. Ah, now I get it, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it took me a third of the show, but now I'm, I'm good. I can move forward. All right. So you have a blog series, lynnlanget.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the motivation behind the blogs, and what are kind of topics that you discuss? So, I, like I said, I worked for four years at Microsoft, and my job there was a technical evangelist. So I was actually a, um, a bonus in gold on how many people I reached. So you can't obviously reach as many people uh, live as you can online. So I started a blog there, and I had a, a strong following. And then when I became an independent contractor, I was already in the habit of doing a blog and sharing information. Now, it's a different purpose, because when it was Microsoft, it's my actual job. Now it's... You know, sort of the sort of helping, but also, frankly, it's kind of a lost leader. You know, people find me and look at the information I put out, and they say, "Wow, you know, she seems to know what she's doing. Maybe I'll call her, and you know, we can work together." So, my information on my blog is technical information around new data technologies and cloud. What's a headline of a recent blog post? Mm-hmm. So, I just did a six-part series on um, introduction to the Google Cloud for Java developers. So um, what that is, it's a competition to Amazon. You know, on the cloud, Amazon is the leader. Amazon's out there, right? So competition is good for business. Amen. So so, um, Google is out there slugging it out, trying to get their offering, you know, competitive with Amazon. And I find they have very good pricing, but they're very hard to use. Okay. So I felt that it would be of service to the community and, you know, hopefully beneficial to me to put this getting started series out there for programmers so they could see how to do it. And you, you know, I think you use the term "lost leader," mm-hmm. and, and I am so uh, much in support of entrepreneurs who give away knowledge and information to educate. Because I think there is nothing more powerful in marketing than demonstrating that if you like that, you ought to come to me and pay me because mm-hmm. I know so much more than what I give away for free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I tell you, just straight up, I got a huge enterprise client from a one YouTube video. I mean, this is not... It wasn't that cat, was it? I love that cat. <laughs> that <laughs> not, wasn't you, was not it? The cat. Okay, that not was the a great cat. one. Not the cat. Okay. But, um, you know, when I... Because I do analysis on my own leads, and LinkedIn is a really big source, right. but um, YouTube is a huge source for me. I have a YouTube channel with over 150 videos, again, on big data and cloud. Wow. And my customers... Because, again, they see me. They right. say, okay, that's helpful. I should call her. Right. Yeah. That just made sense to me. You should be using data to run your consulting... <laughs> What an advantage, huh? Use data wow. everywhere. So even a, a solopreneur, you are a solopreneur, right? Yeah. Okay, as mm-hmm. am I. Uh, we can use big data mm-hmm. to analyze. That's right. Okay. Oh, it sounds like it's for everyone. All right. And how would they find your blog online? So uh, everything that is for me has got my name very easy, L-Y-N-N-L-A-N-G-I-T. So my blog is com. My YouTube is Lynn Langit channel. My SlideShare is Lynn Langit. My Instagram is Lynn Langit. My um, everything. I mean, every everything online is Lynn Langit. Look at you. You're like a marketing whiz too here, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's that's very that's smart to make it easy, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Um, not everything's easy. Can you think of a current challenge that you're facing in your practice and kind of share with us what you're doing about that challenge? Yeah, there's a, a really big amount of resistance um, within organizations, especially small and middle-sized organizations, only have one or two guys or gals doing uh, in, in control of the resources to move resources to the cloud. 
And it is a significant thing that is holding small and middle-sized businesses back. It's one of the reasons I'm happy to come on the show, because I just got to say to those technical people, don't be afraid. Be part of the cloud. If you want to stay relevant, you need to learn it, and you need to help work with the consultant and your business manager to figure out what part it works for you and what part doesn't. doesn't mean your job's going to go away. There's still things for people to do. But if you just sort of close your eyes to it, you're hurting your business. Wow. I've had, I had a customer actually here locally. We had an opportunity with Microsoft, and the, the internal people actually prevented the opportunity because they didn't want to give up control. Wow. That is just, ugh. Okay. It's horrible. <laughs> so, so you're an expert in big data and cloud computing, and we sort of spent most of our time focused on big data, mm-hmm. and we haven't had a chance to really talk about cloud computing. My sense of cloud computing is it's, it's a great cost advantage many times mm-hmm. for middle market companies yes. to look at embracing yes. the cloud. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you, well, like I do technical training. So just personally, I use Amazon um, EC2 virtual machines. Uh, I no longer, you know, get computers or that kind of stuff. It makes no sense. You just stand, you just turn on these machines on the Amazon cloud, do your training, turn them off. Right. So companies can move their training. They can move their development now. Right. Why are they buying machines for that? That's just goofy. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. And that is, that constant technology refresh as well as care and feeding can be a real source of a problem for middle market companies Mm -hmm. where if you can outsource that is what you're doing, it sounds like, with cloud computing to a professional service like Amazon. Right. Who's going to guarantee you uptime, performance, storage. Right. Wow. Right. It's like a no-brainer to you, isn't it? Pretty much. I don't understand the resistance because it's just not good for the business. Okay. Could... We have two minutes left here on the radio show, so I'm, I'm I'm going to ask Crystal to schedule you, if you're interested, for another show where we're going to spend time on the cloud. Love to. Or Thank in you. the clouds. Okay? <laughs> All right. But wh- where's your growth opportunity? I mean, it sounds like you're you're in the right space. What do you see the future holding for you and your firm? Uh, we're starting to get involved in, we're trying to do some startups in Orange County because uh, I'm frustrated. I, you know, I don't want to always go to L.A. for startups or Silicon Valley. So I've been working with some business people here to try to pull you know, the different groups together um, and get the people who have funding and money and the technical people and the workspace. There's a new uh, space I'd recommend for people. It's called um, House of Devs. It's a, it's a co-working space in, uh, I think it's right by here, near Costa Mesa. And they have meetups for both technical people and for entrepreneurs, business people. Okay. A really great place. So House of Devs. It's on uh, meetup.com. Okay. Yeah, that's a very popular site. Mm-hmm. Quite a number of meetups on meetup.com. <laughs> All right. So last question here before we wrap up this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. Give us one more time your website. It's www.linlangit.com. L-Y-N-N-L-A-N-G-I-T. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, if you've enjoyed what we've talked about today with Lynn looking at big data, wait till she comes back and we talk about cloud computing. Oh, my goodness. Maybe she'll even bring in some of her books and we'll look at, at look at those, too. I can only imagine the books you've written. They're pretty deep and rich and thick. Yes. Okay. Well, you can keep them at home then. We'll just look at them on a Kindle or something. Uh, I'm your host, Rick Franzi. I hope you've enjoyed our radio show today. I want to thank Lynn for being a friend of the program and a part of our business community. Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful having you on the show today. You've given so much information in a great way to be able to digest it. Uh, I'd like to thank our commercial sponsors, Brandman University, Commercial Bank of California, Decision Toolbox, Smart Business Magazine, Succession Strategies, Center Club. 
I'd also like to thank our engineer for today's show, Paul Roberts. Our producer is Crystal Nunley. Our guest coordinator is Kathleen Shepard. Our social media manager is Asia Celestino. And I'm your host, Rick Franzi. If you'd like to learn more about Critical Mass for Business or possibly refer a future guest or advertise on the radio program, visit our website, criticalmass4forbusiness.com. Until the next time we have a chance to talk, I hope that all of your decisions will move your company in a positive direction. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi.